Are you as sick of commercials as I am? I just listened to a podcast that cut in the middle of a poem to play an advertisement. So we're going to try something different. We're going to take away all ads. And instead, we're going to rely on you, the listeners, to support us. So please, if this show brings you value, go to patreon.com forward slash random badassery and support this show. Any amount helps. So let's keep this free from advertisement. This is Random Badassery. Just uh, listened to your podcast about fear um, and was really moved and inspired by it because I'm currently in a state of confronting fears. This is Random Badassery. I'm Chad Hall. In the last episode, you may remember... I asked you to call in and share your fears. Well, this is David. I'm going through a job transition. I left my job a couple months back. And I'm fearful that I will make my next career decision not based on who I feel I truly am, but but based on expectations from others. Uh, I'm fearful that I don't actually know what I want. Uh, I'm fearful that I am incapable of accomplishing the things that I want to create. I'm fearful of knowing what I'm capable of and seeing changes I want to see in the world and then not acting on them. I'm fearful of being the person who talks but doesn't act. I'm fearful of wasting time by being fearful. And I am not okay with living a life guided by fear. There's so much beauty in our world. And there are times when I see what we're capable of and what true creativity looks like and what people are capable of when they move past their fears and that's the life I choose to live. I must have listened to this message five or six times in the last month since I received it. I was just stuck on it. There was something in it that I wasn't hearing. So I listened again and again and then I heard it the shift. There is a movement, a distinct movement from one part of the message into another. So what I'm going to do to solve it is be vulnerable and share my fears authentically. I'm not going to let my fears reside in the shadows and hide in my thoughts. I'm going to vocalize my fears so that they can be seen 
in all of their emptiness that I've often found when I share my fears with others the fears aren't actually that big and people are saying really that's what you're fearful of that doesn't seem like much and then the fear dissipates so I'm going to share my fears and not allow them to guide my life and I am going to start a daily practice of waking up every morning and just write down my dreams and remind myself every morning of what my dreams are so that I can put the fears aside and lead that kind of life. Can you hear that shift? Can you hear that difference? He moves from fear to commitment. In the beginning, he's alone. And at the end, he's not. He moves from invisible ideas to action. And today, that's what we're going to talk about. Making things tangible. I remember the first time I was confronted with modern art. It was an art history class in high school, and we were looking at the painting Woman and Bicycle by Willem de Kooning. Now, if you haven't seen this painting, it looks like chaos. It's sloppy and messy and all over the place, and there's some rudimentary face and bicycle parts. It looks like it was drawn by a child. An impulsive 17-year-old me blurted out, What is that crap? I could have drawn that. And our teacher, Miss Diane Levinson, looked at me, and she said, Yes, but you didn't. He did. How many of you have seen an advertisement on TV for something and thought, I had that idea years ago? The difference between you and that person is, they made it. So what is that mechanism? What is it that allows us to take an idea from something in our head and make it into something tangible, to bring something into the world? I decided to talk to a few people who are practiced at bringing things to life. The first person I talked to was Carlos Letelier from Limon Salon. He's the owner, though that's not how he would explain it. Before it was like, uh, I'm an owner of a business and I'm running a business. I focused on the bottom line, or the top line and the bottom line, and didn't really put too much concern on what I actually do, which is I have a whole bunch of hairdressers in a room and I'm trying to help them be as successful as possible. So the only way to do that is I look at it now as I'm kind of a servant to them. Established in 2008, Limon is a 2,000-square-foot upscale hair salon in San Jose, California. It started with the idea of not wanting to be in, in the telecom or tech industry anymore. And because I wanted to get out of that, uh, I started thinking about what type of business I could open or do. Um, and just kind of thinking of ideas of what would be a good business for me to open and become a, a entrepreneur or become really just a business owner at the time. 
and um, some ideas were like opening a bar. I, I thought that would be a good idea. I had multiple friends tell me it's not a good idea. Uh, maybe I drank too much back then. So, and I had friends that were hairdressers, and I also had a good friend that owned the hair salon. And at a wedding, actually, uh, my friend Jason's wedding, he approached me and said, and I told him about me wanting to leave tech and saying I want to open a hair, uh, some type of business. And he he said, hey, why don't you open a hair salon? Because that's what he did, so he he knew that industry and kind of threw that out there. And then I really started thinking about it. But it wasn't until I started talking to a good friend of mine's girlfriend at the time, Courtney, who was a hairdresser, who still is a hairdresser, that started kind of giving me ideas of how her salon, the salon that she worked at, how it, how it worked, and how a rental, uh, salon rental industry works. And it started kind of becoming real in my head, like, in the idea of sort of really thinking about uh, that I could possibly run a hair salon. Um, and then I think we started actually looking for a space uh, to, to uh, a space to lease and um, it started becoming more and more real just kind of going through the steps and I'm not even sure if I really knew what I was doing it was just kind of like happening um, and I was taking the actions to make it happen but I didn't really feel like I was really doing it it was just kind of happening it's kind of weird hard, hard to explain but so how do you take a casual idea thrown out at a wedding and turn it into one of the most successful hair salons in the San Francisco Bay Area. How do you turn this little seed rattling around in your head? This business started in the peak of a global financial crisis into a long-lasting business, into an establishment that has voted best hair salon in the Silicon Valley Metro six years in a row. How do you bring an idea like that to life. What what experience did I really have um, was none in opening a business. So I always wonder like how I got to where I am with not having any experience at all in the beginning. And I think about like what is it that I was able to do, or what experience I had that got me to the steps at least even just open the doors. And I think the inexperience is what kind of helped me was not really knowing the challenges that were ahead. So because I never opened a business, I had no idea how difficult and challenging it would be. And because of that, I feel like it didn't, it didn't scare me as much. I wasn't as, as afraid to get into it, seeing how challenging those obstacles would be, that I just thought it would just be easy and then all the steps would just fall into place because you do the steps and then you have a business and then it's successful, just, just naturally by you opening it. Uh, and because I didn't know how challenging it was, I wasn't like deterred. I wasn't. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't afraid to jump in. But once I jumped in, then me naturally, as a person, I like to. If I saw challenges thrown at me, I, I, I don't give up. I just keep working at it until I get it right. So, uh, so without the experience, I had. I made millions of mistakes, but I, I jumped in because of that as well, for the same reason. And then just not giving up and keep trying to make it right, trying to make it better, because I made a million mistakes. Because starting a business is not where it ends. In order for a business to be successful, you must consistently be finding ways to grow and to improve and to bring in more business. That requires growing little atoms in your mind and bringing those out into the world as well. And how do we do that? So what I used to do is spend way too much time thinking about an idea 
and not jumping on it and making sure thinking when's the right time uh, do I have enough money do I have and just keep worrying about all the different elements of, of making this idea real and by doing that I would just postpone it and procrastinate on it and um, not jump on it and now what I do is I think of it I just jump on it I don't even care about all the, the logistics of what I want to do I just go for it so I make the decisions quicker and then I just figure out you know while I'm in it how to make it better make it work and sometimes it doesn't work but at least I made the decision I jumped in and did it and we all experience that don't we whether we are painters business owners musicians programmers we have an idea and we sit on it and it withers it disappears we fear action because we fear failure we fear doing it wrong creating something mangled creating something bruised i've never been really good at kind of predicting the way things go and and creating implementing a process for that to happen i kind of make it happen and then i, I watch it and i see what needs adjustments or what needs to be fine-tuned basically it's okay to put out something imperfect because you can fix it later you can add more brush strokes you can rewrite the draft you can record another demo I bring it make it real and then once it's real uh, you start seeing what it need what direction it needs to go in you, you just got to be really flexible and you have to kind of see where it's going and if it's, you feel like it's not going well in one direction you kind of push it the other way and you just kind of keep directing that idea into something that works really well I have been writing for the majority of my life. It's a skill that I have crafted over years and years of failure, of bad drafts, of bad writing, bad ideas. And every time somebody asks me what is the most important thing in writing, I always point to the first draft. I always point to the most important thing, momentum. Because a story, like any other idea, is an amorphous blob in your mind. It has no particular shape. It is a ball of jelly. It can move and alter and shift any way you need it to because it doesn't really exist. It doesn't have a shape of its own. And that is the most difficult part about getting an idea out of your head and into the world is realizing that the moment you put it on paper, the moment you put it into clay, the moment you play it on the piano, it immediately faces the realities of its existence. And in that, we begin to first see how different the real thing is from the thing in our mind because it can no longer shift and change and be a perfect thing. It exists. So what I want to do next is talk to someone who can really drill down on that idea. All is now being recorded. <laughs> this is Ian Amlin. I'm a, I'm a 3D texture artist for Blizzard Entertainment right now. I do contract work for them as well on the Hearthstone line. 
which is digital paintings and concepts here and there. Some ideation, but we got some really solid guys on <clears throat> like doing that job. <laughs> Actually, world class to be honest. And um, I do some icon work. I don't know if I just said that. And portraits here and there for the characters that we make. It's kind of a mixed bag, but my my main what I spend the burn of my day doing is texture variations for the characters in our game. Ian got his start with the 2005 PlayStation game. God of War. I was basically working out of Kinko's and I knew the art director and he knew that I loved drawing zombie stuff. So he's like, hey, well, this this works out. And I just happened to draw this um, like this zombie Roman soldier and it just sort of like meshed per- perfectly with what he was doing. And like, so that's how I like I broke in um, to the industry. And then I worked on The Sims, The Simpsons, and then I worked on Dead Space. That was character concept work. And then from there, I moved to Diablo 3 as an environment artist, specifically dungeons. And I just did just hundreds of rooms in there, like both painting and, and, and building. What is his process like? How does he get these things from the space above him onto the page in front of him? I struggled a long time uh, with being able to like actually make that connection from like a uh, like a two-dimensional reality that someone else could see versus like what was in my head and what it boils down to is sort of being fearless to do the first bad drawing to figure out okay well this is as close as I'm going to get at this moment. And like, that's in the country of what I want to draw, you know? And then like, okay, well, say for example, if it's like a creature, like, and it's got four, it's like, you know, a quadruped. Like, okay, well, I'll play around a couple more, like, drawings, you know, just like to figure out what, you know, the anatomy of the, like, the front and the back looks like. And if like, if I want to be invented versus like, based on say like, an elephant or a rhino or, or a cat or something like that. And then, like, I try and solve all the, well, not solve, but just ask the questions first. So then I can go to Google, you know, like, okay, well, I'm not guessing anymore. So I toy with it a little bit more with the idea. And then I'll do just like this horrific scribbly drawing. And then what I'll do is just put another piece of paper on top of that and clean that one up. And then put another piece of paper on that, clean that guy up. But that's just for a creature. And like if we're talking environment, that's something, you know, entirely different. There's this myth that we all live with. That talent is born into us. But some people have it. And other people don't. Some people are born artists. And other people aren't. Like it's a genetic lottery. And with that fiction comes the belief that these people create without fear. That they create in a way that we aren't capable of. That they can get over that boundary between the intangible and the tangible more easily than we can. But it's all a fiction. We all have the same fears. 
We all have the same stopping blocks. We all have the same trepidation to create. I've got stacks of sketchbooks where there's about three pages in, and then I just put it away and I buy a new sketchbook. <laughs> because, like, it, it, like, in my head, if it's not, like, you know, like my heroes, if it doesn't look like what they're doing, then I just, like, really just, I'm just exceptionally critical of myself. And, like, I basically hurt my own feelings. And then the whole fearless part of it is sort of just, you know that whole uh, Inktober thing? Like, for years I wanted to jump into that, but I always got scared. And this year I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. Like, no matter, like, how how unsatisfied I am at the end of it, like, at least that day uh, I, I put something out there. And people responded really well to it. Like, I mean, they didn't, like, they might not have, like, said so or, or whatever, but they, like, I, I had a, quite a few people on the side say, like, I really enjoyed that month. You know, I mean, like, you put a lot of, like, fun things out there. And that's what, like, like I got a ton of energy from that, like, being able to, to draw something and people look at it and feel great. Like that, that is just, that's, that makes the sun come up, man. And, and then uh, to answer your question, like the fearlessness was what, well, that's, that's the courage I didn't have when I was telling you about those sketchbooks where like I felt everything had to be a masterpiece. But in fact, it's, it's not so like those sketchbooks are just, you know, nobody has to see that. You don't have to present that to anybody. Not everything has to be a masterpiece. Something that we talk about a lot with the monthly creative challenge. Creating isn't about being 100% perfect every time. And that's what sketchbooks are to Ian. A place to be imperfect, to practice being imperfect. A place to be free. You know, you know, you know what scatting is, right? Like uh, jazz musicians and stuff. Like that's supposed to be your scat time, where like, that's where you just sort of just venture off and draw things that you don't normally draw, and just sort of I don't know. It's like exercising, but in book form, you know. And then anything that that, that I like there, I just can now take out and you know draw again on, on like a piece of printer paper or something like that and then just re resolve all this stuff and have a great time doing it but maybe you're thinking what I think sometimes that even if you're able to do that that you're going to be judged that people with these skills that are better than you are going to look at what you do and laugh I know that holds some of you back from participating in the monthly creative challenge I know it's prevented me from writing my novel as fast as I want to. So if someone does a, a technically bad drawing and they're cool with it, I can appreciate a drawing that's like, well, this is what I was going for, but I decided to have fun with it instead. You know, like to me, that's that's life on a page. That's you know, that's that's really going inside and sharing something from within you. And that's what this whole thing is about, isn't it? That's what creating is about, is sharing something from within you. 
Ideas that live in our heads and never leave our heads. They don't even exist. They're like dreams that fade as the day goes on. They're ghosts. It isn't until we find a way to make them tangible that we begin to truly create. And it isn't until we learn to create without fear. When we learn to run with our naivete. When we learn to create things that are imperfect and to steer them into the right direction to draw them over and over, to continually improve, until we learn to share. When we learn to do those things, we learn to make the world a better place, to make the world a better place, not wait for the invisible dreams to come to life on their own. Thank you to Carlos Letelier and Ian Amling for giving us their time. And David, from the beginning, what's he up to? He's starting a podcast. And in light of this episode, if you are ready to create and put something out there, join our monthly creative challenge. Create something for the prompt this month, which is peace. Share it on Instagram and tag at monthly creative challenge. And while you're there, follow at random badassery. And if you are really, really kind, a really loving person who appreciates this show, please take five minutes to go to iTunes and rate and review this podcast. Until next time, don't forget, we all have creative minds. (laughs) 